20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another brand new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast, episode 320. In fact, my name is Andy Herman. You can always follow me on Twitter at Scotty Sports. It's been a couple weeks since I've been with you guys and really looking forward today to breaking down uh, some of my observations from the two OTA practices that I had the opportunity to attend, the first two OTA practices that I've seen in the Matt LaFleur era. So I saw some interesting stuff. I certainly wanted to break that down, bring my observations to you. For those who uh, follow me on Twitter, obviously I was live tweeting from from those practices and uh, I've been on the radio a couple times to break down some of my observations as well. But uh, since I was off last week, I just haven't had a chance to uh, break down either of those sessions. So that's really what I'm hoping to do today. Uh, just kind of going over what I saw, some of my main takeaways, uh, some things that I'm genuinely really excited about. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to get started right away, jump into my OTA observations from these past couple weeks. It's important, of course, to remember that these are only organized team activities, There's no pads. We don't know exactly what players are working on. So for instance, a corner might be working on a new technique and if he gets beat by a wide receiver, it might not really matter that much because he's trying out a brand new technique that he hasn't had a chance to work on uh, in live drills. So uh, some of those things are really important to remember as well. Uh, Players are trying to hone their craft, try new things. They're they're not always trying necessarily just to beat the man in front of them. Uh, They're also working again on their craft and, and trying to figure out how they can become the best player possible. So those are important things to remember. And you also have to realize that I'm trying to watch about 85 players practicing at once. And obviously I'm only one person. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to try and see. So I might recognize one player flash on one play. And then I, you know, I might get distracted looking at something else on another end of the field. And that same player might, you know, in the next three or four plays make two or three awful plays. So my observation may have been great of that player, uh, but maybe two three plays later, they were looking like garbage and I just happened not to see it. There's a lot going on. So it's worth noting that you have to kind of take these observations a little bit with a grain of salt uh, because again, we don't know the whole story. We don't know what they're working on. There's no pads, which especially affects the players in the trenches. Uh, and it, it's just worth noting all those things so that you know exactly what to expect. Even if I'm really high or really low on a player, we have a lot of time left. Uh, the the training camp, the preseason, uh, the entire rest of the offseason is is really going to determine uh, the future of a lot of these players. It's not just the OTAs, but there are some things to take away as well. And, and to be fair, last year, just take last year, for instance, during these OTA sessions, these exact same OTA sessions, players like Raven Green, Robert Tanyan, and Tim Boyle all started standing out to me. And I had made mention of that in my initial tweets when I was at those OTA sessions, especially Tanyan and Boyle. I remember specifically Tanyan making a play and I thought for sure it was Jimmy Graham. And I had to do a double take when I saw the 85 flash across and be like, who the heck is that? I need to you know, go back and watch some more of him because uh, he really caught me by surprise with how he was playing in OTAs. Tim Boyle was another player. And I know I've told this story before. I'm sure I've told a million Tim Boyle stories before, but uh, even that very first time I saw Tim Boyle practicing in an OTA, he just had a swagger. He had a, um, you know, a mentality about him that he was supposed to be here and that this wasn't too big for him. That, that told me a story that told me something. So uh, 
there are some things that you can glean. Even going back 10 years ago, I go back to uh, my story the very first time I saw Clay Matthews practice, and it was at an OTA. It was something very similar uh, where they were out practicing the first time. They had just made their transition to the 3-4 defense, and I'm out there, and they're just going through outside linebacker drills. And uh, you have to remember Aaron Campman just made his transition from defensive end to outside linebacker. I believe Brady Papingo was there. Uh, so, you know, you've got some experienced outside linebackers, and then you've got this, you know, rookie, the, their second rookie of the draft. Of course, they picked BJ Raji, you know, with their first first round pick in that draft. Uh, but I'm out there watching him. And he was just different. He had it. And you could just see it. It was tangible. It was evident from the moment that he stood out, even next to his peers at the very first OTA that I saw him at. And just going through some of those drills, you could just tell that he moved at a different speed, a different pace. There was just something about him that stood out to me then. So even though these aren't padded practices, uh, and even though these are just OTAs, sometimes these observations are noteworthy. And that's why I really kind of wanted to go through these with you today. And maybe one of my most important observations isn't even about a player. And it's really about the Matt LaFleur era and how he conducted himself during these OTAs in these first open practice sessions. Of course, the big takeaway here is going to be the story of his torn Achilles. And it's a bummer and it sucks. And he is a hands-on coach. And of course, it is so Green Bay Packers to finally get this hands-on coach who's all over the field, moving all over the place. And of course, he tears his ace or tears his Achilles playing basketball. That's just so Green Bay Packers. But uh, I've just been so impressed with all aspects of his practice uh, from beginning to end. And, and let me start by saying this. I was on uh, the Matt LaFleur bandwagon very early on. He stayed as one of my top two or three candidates uh, throughout the entire offseason. Uh, I always thought that he would be a, a pretty solid hire for Green Bay. But one of the trepidations that I had is you're going from Mike McCarthy. And for all the question marks and all the issues that, that Mike McCarthy had, especially in these past couple seasons, one of the things that he was so ridiculously good at was his attention to detail and just his general practice structure. Everything had a purpose. Everything had a reason. It was structured. It was efficient. And, and, and that was something that I was worried about because anytime you bring in a new head coach, period, you're never sure exactly what that organization is going to look like, what that attention to detail is going to look like. All of those things are really, really important. And with Matt LaFleur being a very first time head coach, never being a head coach at any level before, I had some worry about that. I was curious as to how that was going to look. And I was really blown away at just the general schedule and the efficiency of the practices. There were drills where you were getting multiple things done at the same time. Everyone was split up into different groups so that they could practice. And it wasn't just a ton of guys waiting in line, watching the person in front of them. And of course, there's always going to be a little bit of that, but everything was very efficient. I don't recall, and again, these are OTAs or some walkthrough activities, but I don't recall in the two practices that I saw any sort of water break. There were kind of natural uh, breaks within the sessions and they kind of would go from a high pace, high speed activity to then kind of more of a, a jog through or maybe some lower key drills, some things like that. But I don't ever recall there being a specific water break. And maybe that'll be something they incorporate more once training camp and the, you know, 85 to 90 degree weather and uh, all the pads come on and things like that. But everything was efficient. Everything was upbeat. Of course, as many of you have heard, they've got the music playing throughout the entirety of the practice. 
players were loose, players were having fun. And that was really one of the bigger takeaways that I had during the two OTA sessions is just how crisp that those practice sessions looked. And uh, that, that was a real pleasant surprise for me because like I said, I definitely had some worries going in. And then it's just even the off the field. Everyone seems loose in the locker room. Aaron Rodgers seems to be having fun. Uh, and, and he's been a little bit more jovial, I feel, with, like, with the media. So those are all things that have kind of stood out to me. Now, of course, you have to take even that with a little bit of a grain of salt, right? So of course, everything should be feeling really good right now. You have a brand new head coach. You have a healthy Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay just went and spent big on four big time free agent acquisitions. They had two top 25 picks. So everything should be happy. Everything should be good. Everything uh, should be positive. Hope springs eternal at this point of year. And especially when you have a new head coach and all of those things that I just mentioned. So if there were some uh, negative connotations going on at practice, or if there were some of those concerns or red flags already, uh, that would really be concerning. Uh, And again, you really should look to see some of those those, uh, you know, positive vibes going through the locker room. That's what I would expect to see. Uh, but I think it's it's worth noting that it has been that. There hasn't been any reason for concern. There's been no red flags. And outside of Matt LaFleur's injury, I've been very, very impressed and very, very optimistic about how those practices have looked. Let's move on to the quarterbacks. And uh, so a couple noteworthy items here. So uh, I thought Aaron Rodgers looked good. He looked spry. There were a couple plays where he's rolling to his right. I noticed that at at both of the practices where uh, there's no coverage, there's no defense. They're just playing on air. And uh, he's just completing a little, you know, dump off pass to his running back in the flat or a little bit upfield. And he was a little bit inaccurate on the throw, which this is OTAs. It's nothing. It's just a couple of passes. It's, It's probably nothing, but it was a little bit noteworthy to me because again, this is Aaron Rodgers. You know, these are throws that he can make in his sleep. So uh, the fact that, you know, rolling to his right, again, feet not set, uh, not being accurate with a couple of those passes, it totally could have just been that he and the the running back or receiver were not on the same page. 100% could have been the case. Uh, But that was just something just, uh, you know, keep in the very, very back of your mind. If if that continues to be a trend going forward, is there something where, uh, you know, maybe those those accuracy issues are still playing a a little bit of a part? Um, I don't even want to start with this necessarily because this is super much ado about nothing. And I don't want to, uh, at this point, bring any attention to it and say that this is an issue at all, because at this point it's not. Uh, but we, we last year did see him make some throws that were very uncharacteristic of Aaron Rodgers. Just some really easy uh, throws in the flat that would hit receivers in the feet. And, and I, I think that's why I just was trying to kind of keep a little bit more of an eye on that. And there was one throw uh, at the beginning of each of practices against air that uh, just was uh, inaccurate. And uh, I I thought that was slightly noteworthy. I wanted to touch base on it, but at this point, it means nothing. I don't want to make anything of it. I I wanted to bring it up because I observed it, but I think that's the end of the story right now. Outside of that, I thought he looked great. He looked spry. He looked active. Uh, Again, he's been super positive. um, And I think he just seems to be enjoying uh, a new coach, a new atmosphere. And I think all of those things are very, very important. So all in all, yeah, a couple inaccurate throws here and there on the run. No big deal. Overall, I've been very impressed with what I've uh, seen out of Aaron Rodgers. 
The only other noteworthy quarterback item here was, was Tim Boyle. And of course, uh, as all of you know, I'm a, a big Tim Boyle supporter. I'm, uh, you know, he's a fan of the podcast. He's been on the show. Uh, but I think it's really important that Tim Boyle uh, carries over some of that success from last season into this season. And, and it's obviously not going to be an easy situation for him or Deshaun uh, going from a, a new system that they had to learn last year with Mike McCarthy and now having to pick up an entirely new offense just in their second year, second year for Boyle, third year for Kaiser, and now he's in his third offense in three years. So this isn't going to be easy for either of those quarterbacks, again, to pick up something totally new once again. Uh, but Tim Boyle, to me, he's, he's thrown a couple interceptions in practice. Uh, he had a really uh, bad, I guess, pick six against James Crawford, which we'll touch base on a little bit later. And uh, just was hoping to see a little bit more uh, out of him when he had an opportunity. Uh, again, we don't know exactly what they're working on. I will say on the pick six, he was pressured uh, from behind, which uh, will kind of force them to get rid of the ball a little bit quick. Crawford read it really, really well and uh, made a great play on the ball. But uh, a couple inaccurate throws, uh, which again led to interceptions, but you know, bad reads. And if you go back to his college career, uh, that was something that plagued him. If you go back to preseason last year, he was very aggressive and, and got himself into some trouble with throwing a couple picks. So uh, he's got to take better care of the football. And uh, you know, there were uh, some articles earlier this offseason that said Tim Boyle will be ready to push for that number two quarterback position. If that's the case, I want to see him look just a little bit better. And of course, you all know, I think he's more than capable of doing that. Uh, But I thought that was a little bit noteworthy as well from a quarterback standpoint. For the running backs, uh, first of all, Aaron Jones looked like Aaron Jones. Nothing better I can say about that. He also came in uh, in incredible shape. Aaron Rodgers was even joking with him a little bit about that, but uh, he looks fantastic. Uh, He looks really agile, looks very mobile, and and I think he's ready to take even another step in the right direction with how healthy he came into camp. So very excited about that, and I definitely think that he, again, is looking the part of a star running back in this offense. Jamal Williams, a little disappointment here. So uh, one play in particular, uh, there was a perfect draw play that uh, Matt LaFleur had kind of uh, schemed up in this situation or the offensive coordinator, maybe it was Nathaniel Hackett, but a really nice draw play. The the offensive line executed it perfectly. Uh, he basically gets the first eight yards for free just on how the play developed. And then he's, again, he's one-on-one in the open field and he just couldn't do anything with it. And again, we're not in pads here and he's more of a power runner, right? So uh, he likes to see contact kind to run through that contact, but an issue throughout his career has been the inability to uh, kind of get free in the open field. He has uh, next to no explosive runs. So that's something that I really want to see him take the next step on is, is figure out a way to get more explosive runs because he has not done that in his career in Green Bay. And that was just a little bit of a disappointment. I want to see a jump from Jamal Williams. I really like Jamal Williams. He brings a lot to the table. But if you can't be a guy that can get 10 plus yard runs in this league, you are totally just a guy. And, uh, and that's what's kind of holding him back. So really good pass protector. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, He can run for some of those tough runs in between the tackles. He can be a little bit of a bell cow. He can take a pounding because of his size, but you've got to be able to break some big runs. He hasn't shown that ability and had the opportunity in practice and still didn't show that. So uh, noteworthy there. And then the other uh, real positive was Capri Bibbs. In both practices, he was a player that stood out to me, uh, caught the ball really well out of the backfield. I just thought he he came in looking really, really athletic. And this is a player that fits the offense really well. He's got great hands. I think they haven't put him in this situation yet, but I think he could be somebody that maybe could return some kicks. He's never going to be a dynamic kick returner, but I think he could maybe help in that regard if you needed a a kick returner as well. Uh, Again, great hands out of the backfield. Uh, And and I just think he overall fits this offense well. And I was impressed 
impressed at uh, what I saw of him. He he came in late in the season. He was on the 53 late last year. Uh, so he has the ability to carry that over. Um, you know, he's going to have to fight because uh, barring an injury, you would expect, of course, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are, are going to make the team. Um, you know, Dexter Williams, I, I think a lot of us are really high on, and I think there's a lot of potential there. I suppose it's noteworthy that he's only a sixth round pick. And if he doesn't show the way that a lot of people expect, you know, six round picks aren't guaranteed to make the roster by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, Capri Bibbs could get himself in that conversation, but ultimately he's going to have to show that he can play on special teams, maybe return some kicks, be a three down back and, uh, and do some of those sorts of things to get in the conversation. Uh, and maybe Green Bay would keep four running backs in that scenario, or, uh, you know, there's always injuries. So th- that could always play a part as well, but off to a great start, like what I've seen out of Capri Bibbs. At wide receiver, uh, Geronimo Allison definitely seems to have that uh, slot position locked down at the moment. You're going to see a lot of players playing the slot. I think Equinemius St. Brown, MBS, of course, Devontae Adams. You're even going to see some bigger slots with Tanyan and Jimmy Graham. Wouldn't shock me to see Aaron Jones in the slot from time to time, but from that main core slot receiver, it certainly looks like Geronimo Allison has that, uh, at least at the onset, locked down. And he looked good. I I thought he ran crisp routes. There was a specific corner route that he ran in practice. And uh, he was kind of wondering why the ball didn't come to him after the play, and rightfully so. He he got open pretty easily in the back of the end zone, if I remember correctly. He was matched up with Darnell Savage, um, and it was a you know receiver on a safety. Allison ran a great route, and uh, you know who knows what they were trying to accomplish on that play. And it wasn't anything where Allison was you know angry going back to the huddle, but you could tell he wanted the ball in that situation. So like what I see, and, and he definitely seems to have that slot position or the yeah the slot receiver position on lockdown. So that's a I think that's a positive development overall. MVS, you know, Aaron Rodgers has talked about him taking the next step, looking like a full-time receiver. You know, they came out in the very uh, first play of the OTAs, uh, the second OTAs that was open to the public. That was the first one that I was at. Very first play of team activities. They take a deep shot to MVS and he makes a fingertip catch. Uh, He uh, really worked himself open on the play. He had three or four steps uh, past the corner and Darnell Savage on the play. Uh, Just a really beautiful route, really beautiful catch, beautiful throw, and uh, well executed. And uh, like I've said, if, if MVS can take that step, it opens up the entire offense for everyone else because that safety can't just leave MVS one-on-one with the corner because he has the ability to threaten deep. Or if he does, if he's going over to maybe come up and try to stop Aaron Jones, or if he's playing over Jimmy Graham or more likely playing over Devontae Adams on the other side of the field and MVS is one-on-one, well, the corner is going to have to play off then. And if the corner's playing off, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers can get some of those, you know, quick bubble screens uh, that he's so adept at throwing because of his arm accuracy and arm talent that Rodgers has. Uh, But you can also win on some of those hitch and uh, quick slants and everything like that with the corner playing off. So uh, it could definitely open up the offense and MVS taking that next step would be so huge for this offense and so far so good from what I've seen out of him. And then I think the other uh, noteworthy item here, uh, Trevor Davis and Jake Kumaro uh, have been ahead of Jamon Moore uh, when it's been, uh, you know, when it's come to the practice playing time. I guess what they've kind of been doing is they've been separating it into two different sessions. So when they go to team activities, rather than just having, you know, the ones versus the twos or the ones versus the ones, they're basically in two separate sessions. So on one side of the field, usually it's, you know, about the top 40-ish players on the roster that are kind of rotating in. Basically, number one offense versus number one defense with all of the top alternates that are kind of alternating in between plays. And when 
they've done that, Trevor Davis and Jake Kumaro have been with that main group behind the top receivers. Meanwhile, Jamon Moore has been with that other group where it's kind of the second and third string guys who are kind of working their way, uh, you know, trying to learn the offense and defense a little bit more. So he's been with that specific group and not with that core group. So I think that's one of the big takeaways there. I thought Jake Kumaro really picked up right where he left off from preseason and training camp a season ago. Uh, he looks good, you know, natural hands catcher. Uh, everything looks the same. Everything looks the exact same as what he did a season ago. And it certainly seems like Aaron Rodgers still has trust in him. So I think that's a good takeaway. Meanwhile, Trevor Davis, you know, Trevor Davis, I thought looked really good. He had a really nice, uh, you know, leaping catch, uh, worked his way open, throw was a little bit high, made a, a really good leaping catch to come down with the ball. And I thought Aaron Nagler, uh, you know, made a really astute comment and saying, you know, we've been hearing for a long time now that Trevor Davis has looked awesome when the pads haven't been on. And I think that's a hundred percent true. And, uh, you know, you always love to see this. It's a great thing to see, but you know, Trevor Davis is somebody that when the pads come on and, uh, when the season starts, he's got to be healthy and he's got to be ready to play. This is, this is definitely his last chance as a Packer to make an impact and make a play. I don't think there's anyone on this roster that's going to be able to rival him as a returner, at least nobody that you necessarily want to be returning. If it's a Jair Alexander or Aaron Jones, someone like that, you know, I think you'd prefer them not to be returning kicks or punts. So when it comes to that, I don't think there's anyone on this team that's going to rival him as a returner. If he shows that he can have value as a receiver, we know that he can be a gunner on special teams and a pretty darn good one. You know, that's what you want out of your number five or six receiver, the ability to return, the ability to be an impact player on coverage units, and then the ability to come in and and maybe even have a role in this offense where he could be used uh, maybe in some gadget plays, some end arounds, or even in the slot. You know, if somebody would get hurt, I think he can still step up and play in that role. So he's got to prove himself there. He's got to be better. He's got to show it when the pads come on, but uh, some positive signs out of Trevor Davis. And then last but not least, a player that caught my eye just a little bit, Teal Redding. Uh, first of all, I thought running some of the drills, he looked super agile. I thought he, uh, he really kind of showed himself well there. And then I didn't see it Uh, but he made apparently this spectacular catch because uh, I look over and the entire offense is going nuts because somebody just made a huge catch on the sidelines and, you know, up came with the ball, uh, Tio Redding. And if you ever have a chance to go back, I just recently posted some uh, film of Tio Redding, including some of his highlights. This dude is a big catch, ridiculous catch machine. And he has a huge highlight reel of just ridiculous catches that he has made throughout college in practice uh, with in preseason with the Lions last year. So uh, if you have a chance, go back and watch it. But he is somebody that really makes some spectacular catches. And apparently he did in practice as well. Uh, so that's interesting. He's also playing on some of the return units. Uh, so he's trying to make a name for himself. He's making some big catches. I thought he looked good. And the agility drills just kind of stood out to me a little bit. And then uh, again, maybe making his name on special teams as well. So good start for Tio Redding, super behind the eight ball, right? You know, you've got your your four core receivers that for sure are probably going to make the roster. You've got three more guys that seem, you know, probably competing for those next two spots. Uh, when you talk about Jake Kumaro, Trevor Davis, Jamon Moore, and then you've got a, a variety of other receivers, including guys like Ladarius Shepard and Alan Lazard. So uh, he's definitely behind the eight ball, but liked what I've seen so far. Again, not not totally different than a, a guy like Robert Tanyan a, a season ago, who I thought was probably a long shot at that point, but started making some plays and opening some eyes. So good on T.O. Redding. We'll see if anything comes out of that. 
Tight ends, I, I just thought Jimmy Graham looked really, really good, but he re- looked really, really good in OTAs uh, a season ago as well. So again, another player that once the pads come on and uh, really once the season starts, can he improve his blocking? Can he continue to be uh, a big-time pass catcher over the middle? He had a really great catch up the seam. A nice throw from Aaron Rodgers, fingertip catch from Jimmy Graham. Uh, it was a, a tough angle on the throw, and uh, Graham really ran a nice route. It was it was against uh, Preston Smith, so Jimmy Graham should win that, but uh, did a great job getting up the seam and Seaman again made a really nice fingertip catch. So you like seeing those things, but you know, you really got to see it once the pads come on and really once the season starts for Jimmy Graham. The only other really noteworthy aspect for the tight ends was that Davis Coppenhaver retired uh, kind of out of nowhere. So undrafted free agent, uh, no real high expectations for him, but uh, he decided to retire halfway through OTA. So he's of course no longer with the team. Offensive line, uh, Billy Turner, really kind of the guy who stood out for me. He did have a false start that I noticed. He also had a really tough snap at right tackle against Rayshon Gary, but really thought that he looked the part. He is definitely going to be that starter at right guard. There was a play where he drove Zadarius Smith the entire length of the line of scrimmage. So uh, that was a big time play that stood out to me. And uh, just, you know, you look at him in person and man, this guy is physical. He is a beast. He is a mauler. So uh, I'm excited what he can do. And and then really just quick on his feet too. So uh, you talk about a guy that looks the part and and really showed uh, some of that ability in OTAs. Uh, Billy Turner uh, certainly checked some of those boxes. Boxes. Consistency is always going to be the key for Billy Turner. I definitely think you saw some of those issues last year in Denver. He had the false start and the tough snap against Rayshon Gary, but like what I see, he's ready to lock down that right guard position. And I think Green Bay has found somebody that's going to fit really well within this offense. Alex Light, uh, meanwhile, actually spent some time practicing at right tackle, which was a little bit of a development. Uh, He's spent almost all of his time in Green Bay so far practicing at guard. He was a left tackle in college. Now he was getting some time at right tackle. The more you can do, the better, and I think that's a positive development overall for Alex Light. I still think his best position in the NFL would be at left guard. Uh, That's definitely where I think he has the most potential. Uh, I've been a huge supporter of Alex Light. I think he has the ability to turn in uh, to a solid starter at the guard position, similar to what Lane Taylor did, uh, kind of being that undrafted free agent and then working his way up the roster. So I see some potential there, but when you're Alex Light, again, the, the more that you can do, the more versatility you have the better opportunity you have to make a 53-man roster. So I think that's a positive development for him as well. From a defensive line standpoint, no real noteworthy items here. Mike Daniels remains sidelined, so that's probably the biggest takeaway. Did see a couple really nice snaps from Montrevious Adams. Uh, He had one play in particular where he exploded in the backfield and really would have had the running back for a loss uh, if they were uh, playing in an active uh, game or if they were uh, playing with the pads on, but I liked what I saw to him. And then Fidel Brown had just a couple of really solid practices as well. Wasn't anything sexy, wasn't anything flashy, but was consistently holding up at the point of attack and thought he looked active and and you kind of always saw him around the ball a little bit as well. So uh, just somebody else to kind of keep an eye on. Maybe one of the biggest takeaways, and I've kind of noted this uh, in an article that I wrote for Cheesehead TV, as well as just on Twitter as well, but it's still so early and this doesn't necessarily mean a ton, but I was just so impressed with Rayshon Gary and how he came into OTAs, how he, uh, you know, really presented himself. I've talked about this before, but one of the things that I always want to see, especially in training camp, but in mini camps and OTAs as well, and even on, on Sundays on game day, is when I'm not watching a particular player and something happens that just screams off the tape or screams off the game or screams off the practice field that makes you do a double take and say, 
who in the hell was that? Because I need to figure out who that was because they just made a big time play. And three times that has happened with Rayshon Gary within those first two OTAs that I had the ability to observe. The first one was where he uh, got around the edge on David Bakhtiari, uh, bent around the edge to the quarterback, exploded to the quarterback, and uh, probably would have had a sack again if it was more of a live session. Uh, The next time it was Billy Turner who was practicing at right tackle at the time, and Gary just literally went through Billy Turner, who is a big physical human being. Uh, He went right through him, used his strength and physicality, got through him and and made another pressure on the quarterback, then had another run stuff, and then showed really, really well at the the second OTA as well. So uh, he jumped off uh, the the practice field to me, somebody that caught my eye, even when I wasn't looking at him, super agile. And man, this guy just has the look, just everything about him, where if I was an offensive tackle, that's the guy that I do not want across from me. He is physical. He is fast. He is explosive. Uh, he can beat me with the first step. He can beat me with his hands. He can beat me with power. I just don't want anything to do with it. And as he develops a game plan to get to the quarterback, I think he's going to be a really tough uh, player to handle for opposing offensive linemen. And he made some splash plays immediately in OTAs. And again, as I touched base on earlier, no pads, right? And, and as I touched base on earlier, that's super important even uh, for guys, or especially for guys in the trenches. So uh, take it with a grain of salt. And we've seen guys like Josh Jones before who have come into these OTA sessions and everyone's just raving about him. DJ Williams, the the tight end, uh, you know, about what, seven, eight years ago now, maybe six years ago, was another player that came in and everyone was just raving about DJ Williams and uh, how he looked and that Green Bay got a steal with him at tight end. Well, neither of those players, at least to this point with Josh Jones specifically, have lived up to those expectations coming out of OTAs. So uh, because he flashed at OTAs doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be this great player, but you love to see some of those flashes immediately. If he goes, you know, OTAs and goes those sessions without doing any of that, immediately some of those questions start to creep up. So it's what you would want. It's kind of what you would expect a little bit, but this is even better than what I would have expected uh, out of Rayshon Gary for his first OTA session. So I think that's a really, really positive development. Preston Smith, exactly as advertised, really tough uh, player in physical setting the edge. There were two back-to-back runs where they tried running an outside zone stretch play to his side and he just shut it down. It nothing doing. He he set the edge, uh, closed the door and, and said, you're not, you're not running here. So uh, really well done by Preston Smith. And then uh, just impressed with Zedarius Smith's overall athleticism. No flash plays that I can remember him making, but again, the demeanor and the look of a player that you do not want standing across from you. And uh, just thought overall he looked active and uh, somebody that I think is is really going to be a big time free agent signing for Green Bay and uh, have a big time impact on the defense this year. Inside linebacker, James Crawford. And I mentioned his pick six on Tim Boyle earlier, but uh, I really impressed just how he was flying around the football field. He's got some good speed and good agility. And uh, you talk about that inside linebacker position. It's Blake Martinez, Oren Burks, and then a ton of question marks. And, you know, it really comes down to James Crawford and then Ty Summers, the seventh round pick for uh, guys that you would expect to potentially have odds to make this team Curtis Bolton's another one. He's an undrafted free agent. Liked what I saw. Good instincts. He's really small. Doesn't seem to be super athletic. Does not look the part. We talk about all these guys who have the demeanor and looking the part. Curtis Bolton doesn't necessarily look the part, but I still kind of liked what I saw. So uh, things to to keep an eye on there with Curtis Bolton, an undrafted free agent. He kind of caught my eye a little bit, kind of keeping my eye on him. Sort of similar to maybe like a Greer Martini from a season ago, who if he can maybe make an impact on special teams. I know Martini never made the team, uh, but maybe he can 
catch uh, the eye of the special teams coach a little bit, maybe try to make an impact. Kind of looks like a Joe Thomas uh, type inside linebacker, just undersized uh, and uh, athletic. But uh, I'm, I'm curious to go back and watch more tape on him and see what he might be able to bring to the table. Uh, at cornerback, Kevin King remains banged up. Uh, he he started a lot of the OTA sessions, but uh, he sat out a lot of the team activities. So I know nobody wants to hear that. And it's definitely getting to be, um, you know, put up or shut up time for Kevin King. And he's got to stay on the field, stay healthy. I, I'm never going to dog a guy for injuries. I don't think Kevin King's the guy that's going to milk an injury or be the guy that's not out there when he's needed. Sometimes injuries happen and sometimes they happen in back-to-back seasons. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're injury prone. Sometimes it's just happenstance and bad luck. If you go back and look at you know players like Charles Woodson, he went through some really tough stretches with injuries earlier in his career and that just happens sometimes. So I'm hoping for a big bounce back from Kevin King. I think he has a lot of potential. Green Bay's defense is better when he's out there. He still has a lot to prove, but I think the biggest thing that he just needs to focus on is getting out there and he's working at that. And I, I'm, I'm kind of sick and tired of the people that are just dogging on him for, for being hurt. It's, it, what do you want him to do? If, if he's hurt and he's injured and the medical staff say he's hurt and he's injured, then he's hurt and he's injured. He can't, he can't do anything about that. You can only do uh, what your body is allowing you to do. And that's no fault of his. It just is what it is. So uh, I'm hoping for a really big bounce back and healthy season out of Kevin King. And uh, the fact that he's been able to be out there, even for portions of the practice sessions already, is a positive sign and a step in the right direction. And hopefully by the time training camp comes around, he'll be 100% healthy, ready to go, and, and can really make it through the entirety of the season. I think that's what everyone's hoping for. Tony Brown continued to, to take that next step. And uh, I thought he was a player that to me last year showed that he's a natural press bump and run cornerback and, and can really do a variety of different things. He's got good speed. I love his mentality. Yeah, it can be a little crazy at times, but uh, those those penalties were overblown. The first one was a penalty. The second one, meh, not so much. I didn't care about it. Even the first one, fine, whatever. You know, penalize him. He's got to be smarter than that, but I didn't have a huge issue with it. And he, he just continues to be a guy that shows that he can be sticky in coverage not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't grade him even in the positive from a season ago. So he still has a ways to go, but he's got the super perfect mentality to be a gunner on special teams because he's just a bat out of hell and uh, you know he can make an impact in that way. So I'm hoping he can be an impact special teams player. I think he can still have a role uh, as a cornerback in this defense. I've said from last season and uh, from the time I saw him play, you can win with Tony Brown playing cornerback in your defense. He's, he's good enough for me, but he has to continue to improve. And uh, I've also said this, I think Tony Brown has this really unique uh, spectrum for how this season could play out. If you told me that, you know, he ended up being one of the top corners at some point this season and was one of the number, you know, top three corners who was playing uh, maybe due to some injuries or things like that and got a lot of playing time and maybe even jumped ahead of Josh Jackson, that wouldn't surprise me. I think he has that much talent. If you told me he took a similar path to say a Lindsey Pipkins who really showed well in his rookie season towards the end of the year when he got a chance and then got traded last off season and never had a chance and then got cut from the Colts, neither of those things would surprise me. If, if you told me that he didn't make the 53 or if you said that he was one of our top three corners playing in nickel defense, anything is, is within the realm of possibility with Tony Brown. I love the fact that he came out in OTAs and still looks ready to go and was looking to carry over his play from last season. Uh, again, another positive step in the right direction. The only other noteworthy item here, Tremont Williams officially back at cornerback. I didn't see him take any snaps at safety, uh, so he definitely seems to be firmly in the plans of the cornerback group at this point in time. 
at safety. Darnell Savage, uh, you know, a couple plays where I thought he didn't hold up, uh, you know, his end of the bargain in coverage. Not worried at all. He's still getting his feet wet. And they were asking him to basically play man-to-man coverage in the slot at times against veteran receivers. And uh, that's going to definitely take some time getting used to. And that's definitely probably something that he'll do more in a pinch. That's not something he's going to be doing on a a down-in and down-out basis. But uh, the fact that he even is, is hanging as a safety in coverage in those situations, that's not something that Green Bay's had in the past. He's got a swagger similar to uh, Jair Alexander. He's definitely a short, small dude. You know, he definitely is. Uh, He's not the most intimidating guy on the field, but he is uh, super aggressive. If you watch any of his college tape, he will stand out to you from an intimidating and aggressive standpoint, even though he doesn't look like it. So I still think he's got a very bright future. I have no concerns at this point, but uh, he definitely has a learning curve, but also got some really high praise from Tremont Williams, who said that he basically has the playbook down and keeps asking for more and more and more. Uh, he wants to learn more. He wants more responsibility. So I think that's probably the bigger takeaway there. Raven Green just got super jacked in his upper body. Thought he looked good at safety. They're also moving him down in the box, kind of playing him in that Morgan Burnett or Josh Jones kind of safety linebacker hybrid role. That's a really great role for him. I still think he has an impact to play. And with Josh Jones being not at OTAs right now, looking for that trade, Raven Green really comes becomes the de facto backup safety behind Savage and Adrian Amos. And uh, he's really the, the top carryover at safety from a season ago. Adrian Amos, a free agent. Darnell Savage is a rookie. Um, you're talking about Mike Patton's defense. It's the same defense from a season ago. Raven Green's the next guy up if Josh Jones isn't here. Even if Josh Jones is here, Raven Green might still be the next man up. So that's a name you want to get to, to start to know a little bit more. I think he's he's definitely looking like he put on some time or put some time in the weight room this offseason. So excited about Raven Green. I think he can be a, a player on this defense and a player I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on even more because uh, I liked what I saw in the OTA sessions as well. Last but not least, special teams. Uh, I think the the big takeaway here, Sam Ficken looked right in line with Crosby making field goals. So I'm not sure how big of a competition that this is going to be, but uh, Ficken had some time in the NFL last year. Ficken would also be a heck of a lot cheaper than what uh, Crosby would be. And let's not forget, Crosby had some serious struggles last year as well. So that's a a battle that I'm going to be keeping my eye on when training camp comes around. I think you actually might have a little bit of an advantage for Ficken here when you start looking at some of the things that you break down when you're trying to make those uh, decisions, uh, you know, at the end of training camp of who makes the team and who doesn't. Of course, you've got the veteran Mason Crosby and uh, having that veteran leadership from a kicker uh, and just the ability for him to go out and and maybe not be quite as rattled is a a huge thing. And you definitely don't want to understate that, but he didn't exactly use that to his advantage last year trying to make some clutch kicks. So I think he's firmly on the hot seat. And if Sam Ficken looks like he can be the guy, they get a guy super cheap, much cheaper than Crosby. They have cap savings. And you can probably get him, uh, you know, on a a little bit of a longer term deal here uh, at a really cheap cost. And, you know, Mason Crosby, they're going to be looking for his replacement sooner rather than later. If they have an inkling that Ficken can be that guy, I think he's got a real chance to make the team. So something to keep an eye on. And then uh, the only other, you know, noteworthy takeaway at special teams was Aaron Jones and Jair Alexander, both getting time as kick returners in the kick returner drills and in walkthroughs and jog throughs. So it seems like that could be something that's in the cards for both of them. And uh, that's a really interesting, unique dynamic. Probably not going to take the time now to break down whether or not, uh, you know, Green Bay and the fans want those two to be used on special teams when they're so important to the team. Uh, 
honestly, I don't even know that I have a take on it. I think ideally, like I said earlier, you don't want those guys on special teams, but we've seen a lot of really important players in this league, including guys guys like Antonio Brown and Patrick Peterson, uh, make some really uh, you know big plays on special teams. And if those guys are good enough to play special teams, then Jair Alexander and Aaron Jones probably are as well. But uh, there's always a good debate there. Like I said, I don't know that I necessarily have a, a great take on it. I think you get an injured anyway playing football in practice, uh, in, in you know, playing basketball, for example, uh, whether it be on special teams or just playing defense or offense, you're always at risk for injury. And uh, it doesn't always have to be a contact injury either. You know, the biggest ones are usually the ones that are happening non-contact. And, um, you know, I don't think there's any more risk of that happening when you're returning kicks or punts. I think there's definitely uh, an argument to be made that more injuries happen on special teams. And I think there's evidence to show that. But uh, it, it's a it's a really tough debate, and you want your best players on the field at all times. And if if you're of the belief that I am that special teams has uh, just as much of an impact and and can really be just as much of a difference maker as any other play in the game, then you want your best players out on the field as much as you can. So it's a tough argument for me. And like I said, I don't know that I have a hot take on it, but at this time, it looks like Aaron Jones and Jair Alexander might get some opportunities to return some kicks. That does it for me for my OTA observations. Uh, Green Bay has three minicamp practices coming up this week. All are open to the media, but not to the public. I will not be there. Unfortunately, I do not have a media credential, so I will not be attending any of the minicamp practices this week. But I know guys like uh, Michael Cohen and uh, all the Packers beat writers will do a great job of covering those, and hopefully we get some great takeaways from those minicamps this week. Some news and notes around the Pack-A-Day podcast. First of all, uh, Maggie Loney has officially joined Cheesehead TV and she's been killing it with her articles. Uh, This is really super disadvantageous for me because apparently I think she's going to be writing on Fridays. I usually write on Fridays, so now I have to step my game up, which is super disadvantageous. So thanks a lot, Maggie. But uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out those articles yet, make sure to do so. She's been crushing it uh, even within her first few weeks at Cheesehead TV here. So check those out. Dusty Evely's also been putting out some awesome content on Cheesehead TV. He's been breaking down Matt LaFleur's offense and some of the plays that really make that offense go. So uh, really want to get in depth with Matt LaFleur's playbook and some of the things that you're going to see from the Packers on offense this year. Dig into that. Dusty does a great job with that. And he's been crushing it as well over at She Said TV. So check out those series. Um, Matub is officially coming back. So in a couple weeks on Sunday, he will be back. He's going to start every other week. He will be podcasting back with his old partner, Zach Jacobson. So I know a lot of huge fans of Matub and uh, really a lot of people really love that partnership with uh, Matub and Zach Jacobson. Again, they're going to be doing every other Sunday starting in a couple weeks. So keep your eye out for that. And then the other noteworthy item, Jason Perrone, who you've heard a couple times podcasting with uh, Jacob Westendorf as a guest. He is now officially a member of our podcast team as well. He will be continuing to podcast with Jacob, and they will be doing the opposite Sunday of Zach and Matub. So uh, some really cool uh, partnerships there, and I know some teams that you guys are really going to enjoy. So again, welcome, Jason, officially to the team. We're super pumped to have you, and welcome back, Matub. Uh, some Pack-A-Day podcast merchandise is going to be coming out incredibly soon, so keep your eye out for that. I'm sure some announcements on Twitter and social media will be out there very, very soon, so something to keep an eye out for. 
I also want to give a big shout out to Lizzie5434, who wrote a review for us on Apple Podcasts. She wrote, I love my Packers, but I always have such a hard time keeping up with free agency, the draft, and all the little things in between. Having a podcast every day that keeps me in the loop is a godsend. Keep up the good work and go Pack Go. Lizzie, thank you so much for that super kind review. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, and we really appreciate it anytime some, you know, people take the time to write those reviews. And that was obviously a really positive one. We're glad that we can be uh, that Packers go-to source for you. Uh, our guys do in, and gals do incredible uh, work. And I'm so proud of all the work that they do on this podcast. Um, we're not getting paid. None of us are for any of the things that we're doing with this podcast. This is a labor of love. We, As you know, we don't have commercials. And uh, this is just something that we enjoy doing as a Packers community. And uh, we love bringing this podcast to you every day. So Lizzie, you're very welcome. And thank you for the kind review. Uh, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to read more of these uh, when I have my podcasts uh, for every Monday. So uh, if you do go out and write a review, give a great review, give that five-star rating, I will definitely try to make sure to read it on air for our listeners. So thank you all. Even if you're not writing reviews, always appreciate our listeners. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, like I said, we do this for a labor of love and uh, we do this for the Packer Nation as a whole. And uh, we just love our listeners, love our followers. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are the best. With that, I'm losing my voice. I'm out of here for today. It's always a pleasure talking Packers with you. Make sure to hit up Dan, Janelle, and Matt tomorrow. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go! One kick away from the NFC Championship game from the 41. Left hash mark, 51 yard, field goal attempt, snap, placement, kick, 